Sermons from Union Chapel Baptist Church. Hey everybody, glad everybody's here. We praise the Lord for you coming and you're, you're welcome. Any visitors, you're welcome. And we appreciate you taking the time this morning to come out to our services. Time is an interesting thing. It's a limited commodity for each of us. And that's why I'm so appreciative for each of you who come here this morning, for each of you who go to services in the morning, uh, Sunday morning and, and Wednesday night, and take time out to listen to what God has to say to us. Time is where God has placed us, and the flow of time is for a purpose. It pushes us on our way to eternity. The present moments pass into the future and make present moments the past. We're constantly being pushed towards eternity. And God has a purpose as time slips away. God's time clock is different than ours. For us, we would most of us would say, okay, let's go to heaven right now. But God has a different purpose. We don't think the, way, the same way God does. Nor do we understand sometimes all of what God says because God's outside of time. Anybody here know what it's like to be outside of time? I don't. Anybody here know what it's like to be sinless? No. All I know is that's going to be heaven. When there's no sin, there's going to be no corruption. It's going to be heaven for us. Time pushes us to that eternity. But it also causes us to ask certain questions. Why, what is the purpose of God's purpose in this world that seems to be full of chaos and destruction? As time slips away on God's time clock, the questions mount up. We ask, when will the great change come that allows God's peace and God's presence to prevail? When will Jesus come and take his rightful place as ruler of the universe and restore everything in submissive order to himself? What is the purpose of our lives to be in this world from God's perspective? And God knows we have all these questions. In fact, the disciples asked some of the very same questions that people are asking today. And the answers are found in the Bible. The Bible has the answers. In fact, Jesus' last words in Acts here deal with these particular concerns. If you have your Bible, and the scriptures, uh, I think they're going to put the scriptures up here. Um, if you have your Bible, turn to Acts 1, 4 through 8. Yeah, there's a pew Bible if you'd like to turn there. Now, Acts 1, 4 through 8 is the biblical record of Jesus' last words on earth. Jesus is about to ascend to heaven and take his place at the Father's right hand. Now, just how important do you think these last words are? You're right. They are very important. Last words are very important. Acts 1, 4 through 8. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, 
It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Let's pray. Dear Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit speak to us through your word. Speak to each heart and minister to each heart as only you can. If one needs Christ, Lord, we ask for their salvation. If one needs encouragement, Lord, encourage them. Let your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts through your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus began talking about John's baptism and the promise of the Holy Spirit. John's baptism was based on the Jewish ritual of taking a new convert and they would baptize them to, to cleanse them and to have them join Judaism, making them ritually clean. Um, and that's why many of the Jews, especially the Pharisees, rejected John's baptism because they felt like they did not be, need to be cleansed. They were already there. And therefore they opposed his baptism. John promised that there would be another baptism afterwards. He said it would be a baptism of fire. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus is referring to as a promise. The promise came on the day of Pentecost, and it's described in Acts 2, 1 through 4. It says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we read further on down in Acts 2, 38 and 39. It says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God could, shall call. This day of Pentecost was the birth of the Christian church as we know it. And the Holy Spirit is still filling people. The Holy Spirit is still moving in this church. And the promise is here for each one of us that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you, if you are not baptized in the Holy Spirit, you are not a Christian. Because in order to be a Christian, the Holy Spirit needs to fill your life. You need to be born again. You need to have that change in your heart. And that's... That's the promise, is that the Holy Spirit was going to come and fill us and help us. The Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and baptized them. And that baptism is promised to all who believe on Jesus. Now the Jews understood this day a little different way. They understood it as a time to give their first fruits to God. It was a time when they came and they gave of their grain offering and they gave of what they were prospered as an offering, as a tithe. And they called it Shavuot. Or Shav I think that's how it's pronounced, Shavuot. And it's a feast of first fruits. It's the 50 days after the Passover Sabbath. And it was originally a harvest celebration. But after they had settled the land, they also added to that a celebration of the day that God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. 
It's a celebration of first fruits and of the giving of God's law. Pentecost, what we celebrate, what do we celebrate? It's the first fruits. God calls us the first fruits. It's the bringing in of the first fruits of the kingdom of God. And it's also a day where we celebrate where Christ fulfilled the law. So that we could enter heaven. So that we could be forgiven. So that we could be filled with this Holy Spirit. This day of Pentecost was found in the Old Testament in Leviticus 23.16. It says, You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath. From the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, you shall count fifty days after the seventh Sabbath, and then you shall present a grain offering of the new grain to the Lord. So we see once again, God has established these holidays in Judaism to give us a picture of what's going on. It's amazing to me. Think about it. Here God says, celebrate the first fruits. After they're in the land, they say, okay, we'll celebrate. And no doubt the Spirit of God is involved in this. We're going to celebrate God's giving of the law on that same day. And in how, how can God... God brought all that together for the day of Pentecost. He brought those two ideas, the first fruits and the law. On Pentecost, it's the first fruits and the giving of grace and the grace of Jesus Christ so that we could be set free from that law and that law could be fulfilled in us as the Holy Spirit writes it on our hearts. It's amazing to me how God can put these things together through the centuries. This is the Gospel that Jesus fulfilled the law and now He has given us the church the ability to by His Holy Spirit to fulfill His purpose till Jesus comes. As Christians, this day is the birthday of the church. It is a day to celebrate how God fulfilled the law through Jesus Christ and opened heaven to the first fruits of the faith. Romans 8.34 tells us, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. We are now to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit who baptizes every believer. All that was simply to give you a brief history of the setting of what is going on on the day of Pentecost, what the purpose of the giving of the Holy Spirit was. We understand that it's God's, that it's God's doing. God set it up. God set up the day of Pentecost. God wants us to understand what's going on and why the Holy Spirit is, is given to us. There are three things in Jesus' last words before He ascended that should be understood about the power and purpose of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. The first one is the baptism with the Holy Spirit is not for earthly power. Secondly, the baptism with the Holy Spirit is not concerned with when Jesus is coming. And thirdly, the baptism with the Holy Spirit is to empower the believers to obey Jesus' last words, the Great Commission. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not for earthly power. This being said, it is apparent sometimes God chooses to glorify Jesus by a display of power. But that is not the main focus of the Holy Spirit of the church. 
The main purpose for us as a church is to witness to the gospel, to witness for Jesus Christ, to show the world that there is a Savior, there is a Messiah that loves them and wants to see them go to heaven. The disciples at that time of Jesus' last words were still expecting Jesus to establish an earthly kingdom. They knew the baptism with the Holy Spirit was coming and it would be powerful and mighty. That is why they ask the same question many of us are asking today, which is, when will God's rule be restored and His kingdom come? The disciples were thinking of earthly power, the inauguration of the Messiah's kingdom, in which the Jewish nation would be prominent and they would have a major part. They were looking for power to conquer their, and destroy their earthly enemies. And when you think about it, why wouldn't they? Their history is rife with God helping them and God delivering them and God doing mighty things. He miraculously stored their freedom with His power many times. They would have thought of Moses in the Red Sea. Joshua in the Battle of Jericho. They would have thought about the battle with the Amorites where God, Joshua called on God and the sun stood still. Samson, who killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of an ass, Gideon, who under God's instruction took 300 men and put thousands to flight. And of course, David's exploits in the Psalms. They would have been looking for a Messiah and a kingdom like that, like that of Psalms 89, 20 through 24. I have found David my servant with my holy oil, and I have I anointed him. With whom my hand shall be established, mine arms also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not exact upon him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. And I will beat down his foes before his face and plague them that hate him. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. That was their expectation. After all, Jesus was called the son of David, the son of man, the Messiah. Why wouldn't they expect the kingdom to be restored? It wasn't God's time. But it was a reasonable expectation, but that's not what the Holy Spirit was about. Earthly power and control are not the primary reason for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Those who say it is are simply wrong. It is the quest for God's kingdom and earthly power that has led many false teachers that we have seen to become a David Caresser or Jim Jones and try to establish their own version of God's kingdom on the earth that is far from godly. No, my friends, the baptism with the Holy Spirit is not for earthly power or earthly control. Neither is it concerned with the, neither is it concerned with time. We should understand the baptism with the Holy Spirit is not concerned with when the restoration of the kingdom will be or when the Lord's return will happen. The disciples asked, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Many of us, you know, as I said, ask the same question. We look around, the mess of the world is in, and we ask, when are you going to come back and restore things to right order? Now, how many have thought that or had that question? <laughs> yeah, we've, it's, it's something that we'll think about. And we think about, it, is it time? Is it now? When will he come back? When will he make things right? We want to know. 
Jesus said about this in Matthew 24, 36, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. The pondering and trying to answer this question of when has caused preachers to become date-sitters and prophets to become survivalist radicals. Worry about this question has caused people to stand on a hilltop naked waiting for a glorious appearing to find out it was a shameful exhibition. It has even resulted in death. In our own generation, we think of heaven's gates. And those people were smart people. They were computer programmers. They were intelligent people. But they bought into a wrong view of when Jesus was coming. And 30 of them killed themselves to catch a ride on Haley, the Haley-Bob Comet because they thought God was coming back that way. And what caused that? It was the worry about when Jesus is coming. Our purpose is not to worry about when Jesus is coming. Jesus said this in our text. He said, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in His own power. And Jesus said it a different way in Mark 12, 30, 13, 32 through 33. He said, But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, know not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son but the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. So it shouldn't surprise us that we don't know the time. It tells us we should not seek to know the day or the hour. We can look at what's going on today and realize, yes, the time is getting close. It's imminent, but we need to take heed. We cannot know for sure how close it is or when it will happen. God has kept these things secret. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. We look at Matthew 24 and we hear of wars and rumors of wars and all these things, and we look and we say, yes, that's happening today. We look at other passages and we say it's getting close. But we need to beware not to be overly concerned with knowing what time it is. And we are definitely not supposed to set dates. How many of you have heard somebody set date for the Lord's coming? Probably every one of us has heard it at one point or another. Um, Jesus says, no. That's a secret. That's God's secret. Who, 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 who are they to be telling God's secrets? God's not going to honor that. And he doesn't. If Jesus, the question is now, if Jesus were to come right now, the question is not when he'll come, it's are you ready? And I hope you're ready. I hope so. If you are not ready, at the end of this service, we're going to take a short time, we're going to sing a hymn. And if you want to, you can come down to this altar and you can pray and you can know that you're ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ if he was to come today. And it's important that you be ready, because if you're not ready, then you're going to miss what God has for you. Let us be ready for the Lord's return. In fact, you know, you think about being ready, and Romans tells us the whole creation groans for the coming of Christ. Romans 13, 11 through 13. Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. 
The night is almost gone, the day is near. Therefore, lay it, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day. Actually, that was a scripture that I had before, but it's very applicable. Um, I read the wrong one, but that's, that's good. We know. We know it's closer now than it was later. The creation groaning scripture that I want to put here is Romans 8, 22 through 25. So we know it's closer. And not only are we looking for the Lord to come, but it tells us all creation is. The whole world is groaning for Jesus to come. We see that with earthquakes. It says the earth shall travail as a woman giving birth to a child. We can see earthquakes around the world today. We see wars. We see all these things. And we say, when will the Lord come? Soon. That's his answer. Soon. Romans 8, 22 through 25. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption of sons and the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But we hope for what we do not see with perseverance and wait eagerly for it. We are eagerly awaiting this restoration. The world is eagerly awaiting this restoration of the kingdom of God. When all things will be set in order, things will be right for the first time since man sinned and paradise was lost. Paradise lost will become paradise regained. And creation groans for it. Sin will be vanquished along with all sickness, sorrow, pain, and death. It is then we shall receive our full adoption as God's children. It is to be desired, expected, anticipated. Revelations 21, 3-7 tells us, gives us a glimpse of what God has for us at that time. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them, and He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these things are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. This is our earnest expectation when Jesus returns. And it's to be looked forward to. The whole of Scripture, the Holy Spirit chose to use words of anticipation and expectation to refer to the second coming. It has an urgency about it. For example, Revelations 22:12. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. In the parables, Jesus chose to describe his comings is sudden and full of urgency. Mark 13:35 through 37. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming whether in the evening, at midnight, 
and when the or when the rooster crows are in the morning. In case he should come suddenly and find you asleep, what I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. We are to be looking for the coming of the Lord. We are to be ready for the coming of the Lord. The parable of the ten virgins is a good example of how we are to wait. There were ten virgins waiting for the bridegroom described in Matthew 25, 1-13. There it says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh! Go ye out to meet him! Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there not be enough for us, and you go and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to, to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know not neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Now let me ask you, what was the problem? Was the problem that the bridegroom came late? Or was it a lack of preparedness for his coming? Was it in the fact that the bridegroom tarried and they slept? Or was it the fact that the five bridesmaids didn't make right preparation? Let me ask you this morning, is your lamp trimmed and burned, burning, ready for the Lord to come? Is your life full of the Holy Spirit and His fruits, or are you lacking? When the midnight cry comes, will you be ready to meet the bridegroom, Jesus, or not? Only you know for sure. If you are not sure, you can make sure this morning during our invitation time, and by faith, you can know that you know that you know you're ready to meet the Lord. I hope you see how the proper sense of expectancy works with the witness of the Spirit. The point and the emphasis of these parables is not the time of His coming. The time is a secondary unknown. The primary responsibility is one's waiting, in every case, in faithfulness. Jesus wants, to be, wants us to be concerned with our faithfulness and being ready when He comes, not the time when He comes. So you see, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not for earthly power. The baptism for the, with the Holy Spirit is not concerned with when the Lord is coming. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is to empower the believer to be faithful to Jesus' final commands till He comes. The Holy Spirit has come to empower believers, you and I, to be witnesses to all the world. To be faithful till Jesus comes to tell others about Jesus. Our text says you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. That word power in the Greek is the word dunamis. We get our word dynamite from it. 
And also it's the roots for the other words, dynamo, dynamic. The Holy Spirit brings with Him this power of God for us to make a difference in people's lives. Jesus wants to change lives. He said that through His life. He said that through the cross. He said that through His resurrection. And the Holy Spirit is going to do what? According to the Gospels, according to what Jesus said, He's going to teach us what Jesus said. If that was Jesus' main purpose, it should be our purpose too. And it's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings with Him the power of God to make a difference in people's lives. Jesus said in John 16, 13 through 15, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. He tells, he not only tells us what God wants us to do, he empowers us to do it. If you read the scriptures, it talks about people being full of the Holy Spirit, and when they, when they come to to charge you when you get put in jail. He says, don't think about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give it to you. See, the Holy Spirit wants us to give the words, wants to give us the words to reach our neighbors, wants to give us the words to reach those around us with the gospel so they can be saved, so they can come to heaven too. Yes, Jesus is coming. Yes, we are closer to the glorious appearing today than yesterday. Yes, Jesus will come and God's rule will be restored. But until we see him face to face, we have to remember to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing for us to do as believers is to show and tell people about Jesus. This is important. Jesus made sure he emphasized it emphatically before he left by making it his last words. Now we all know the importance of last words. They are to be trusted. That is why a deathbed confession is considered solid evidence in a court of law. They are generally true. I don't know of anybody who lies on their deathbed. I suppose it's possible, but generally, they're going to say what's closest to their heart. They're going to share the truth. They're going to share or oftentimes repent, ask forgiveness for things. It's going to be what's on their heart. If you were to know when you were going to die, Suppose you were going to die this afternoon. How do you think you choose your last words? Very carefully. It would be something dear to your heart. It would be a message that you wanted your posterity to hear and those that are left to hear and to take to heart. Jesus gave us his last words here just before he left. He gives us last words in the synoptics and acts and even revelations. The last words have to do with witnessing faithfully till he returns. The Holy Spirit power relates directly to our life and our witness for Christ. Listen to Jesus' last words in Matthew. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came up to them saying, All authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Or the end of the age. 
depending on which translation you use. Listen to Jesus' last words in the Gospel of Mark. Mark 16, 15 through 18. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. But he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents and they will drink if they drink any deadly thing, poison. It will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Jesus' last words in Luke are these. Luke 24, 46 through 49. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And in our scripture now, the very last words before Jesus ascended was, It is not for you to know the times and the epochs which the Father has fixed in his own authority, but you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and even to the uttermost part of the earth. Do you think Jesus is trying to tell us something this morning? I think it's more than a coincidence or an accident that some of the last words in Revelation are these. Revelation twenty-two seventeen, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst, and whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. God, God wants us to witness. Witnesses, witnessing and telling others about the gospel is the heart of Christianity. It is why Jesus came. Jesus came to save sinners. It is the purpose of the Holy Spirit to empower the church, to empower believers to show and tell that Jesus saves. Witnessing is the main thing. We need to keep the main thing the main thing. Paul said it was the main thing in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. He said, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. It is the main thing because those who believe it are saved, and those who do not are damned. It is important to God that people be saved. It was important enough for Him to send Jesus it was important enough for Him to send the Holy Spirit to empower us, and it is important enough for Him to send you and me to tell our neighbors. To God, witnessing is more important than worldly power. It is more important than the end of the world, as we know it. It is the most important thing we can do, and that is to tell people about Jesus Christ. God sent His Holy Spirit to make us witnesses. As Christians, we need to let the Holy Spirit have His way. Our witness deserves our prayers. It deserves our intentionality. It deserves our time. And it deserves our deliberateness. Because Jesus does not want to condemn anyone. But He will if they don't believe. And God has given us a part. He's given us a part to share with Him. He's given His Holy Spirit so that we can share in telling someone else about Jesus. They can receive Christ 
and they can get saved and they can receive the Holy Spirit and they can tell someone else. That is the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is the most important thing to God because if someone does not believe, then they are damned. Romans 38.34 He says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. I'm going to ask you a question today. Let me ask you if your intercessor is someone who your faults put on a cross to die, where do you think you're going to be? If you have not repented of those things, where are you going to be? It's not going to be a good situation. What happens if you made Jesus the only one who is righteous and can make you righteous, an enemy, your enemy by your lifestyle? You haven't listened to what he said. You've disobeyed his rules. Where are you at? Something to think about. And I don't care if you say you're a Christian or not. If your lifestyle goes against God, you're under a judgment. You may not go to hell. You may be saved as smoking clothes being pulled out of the fire and thankful that Jesus had mercy on you, but you're still going to be under a judgment. Sin has a judgment that comes with it. It's, it's LSD. You lust, you sin, it brings death. It's spiritual LSD and it will deceive you. Just like the jug deceives people today, and they think, oh good, this is high, I feel good, and this is that. And then they, then they die. Then they, then they have to pay the consequences. Sin is spiritual LSD. And if you're taking it, you need to repent of it and leave it alone. Whatever it is. What if you simply made Jesus your acquaintance but have no real relationship? A lot of people have done that. They'll, they'll give God lip service, but they don't take it to heart. If you are in any of these categories, you're in the devil's clutches. But you do not have to stay there. Satan is a defeated foe. Jesus made a show of him openly when he resurrected from the dead. Colossians 2, 14 and 15 says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that were against us, which was contrary to us, he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Satan is defeated. Jesus spoiled him and took his power from him when he rose from the dead. It's the only thing Satan has against people to destroy people is lies. That is his weapon, is to lie to you. Will you trust Jesus with your life? The antidote for the world's problems and your personal problems is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, be filled with his spirit, and keep the main thing the main thing, telling others about Jesus, obeying God, loving God. Two great commandments, love God, love your neighbor. All fulfilled, and the Holy Spirit wants to help us to do it. Thanks for listening. For more information, see unionchapelbaptist.org.